They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Hey, real quick before the show begins, just wanted to say to make sure to check out the Kickstarter for the Chosen Juan comic book series. Issue number one, we're going to have a lot of different notable podcasters in there. A very exciting project that we're working on. And please check that out. The link will be in the description, the show notes. Also, make sure to check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash the 101 podcast. The Telegram group, follow me on social media at the 101 podcast. Anywhere, pretty much all the social media platforms except for, for a couple. But yeah, check that out. Thanks so much. space is kind of a misnomer because we're thinking about a hologram that everything is in a singularity and because of the way light works it's refracting outwards and we're experiencing where light in a hologram is projected to be psychologically as opposed to that it's all in one quantum entangled location anyway in a flat plane right so it, that's that's a big issue that we have with science i think that's confusing people is that circuits and harmonies have and frequency have to do with resonant spin state but yeah the other thing is i love that theory that all of outer space is just time and that these are different those you're looking at earth in different moments essentially you're looking at not earth but whatever it is that is here because there is no thing that is a place a place is a point of view and you know you're everywhere i like i like that one a lot Welcome to the one-on-one podcast with your host, Juan Ayala. And welcome back to another episode of the one-on-one podcast. I'm your host as always. We got fucking Exertus in the house. What's up, dude? How you doing, man? I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm finally glad to get you on one-on-one, on, one, one on one, bro. One-on-one, on one, Andreas. I really like that one-on-one, Exertus. I think that the name one-on-one on one podcast might be the best name of any podcast <laughs> in 2022. I've been thinking about it a while. I've been wondering this for, like, months. Has there a better name out there? Hmm. Probably not. So after I started my podcast, I guess some guy named Juan tried to start his, and he named it 
the Juan on one podcast. He tried because I was mine was already out, so he almost got it. Ouch! <laughs> mm. Can't win. Yeah, you won. Exertus, can you plug your shit for those that don't know about you, where they can find you, documentary, all that good shit? Brilliant. Um, yeah, you go to andreas.me, www.andreas.me, or you can go to exertus.com, x-i-r-t-u-s.com, and you go on YouTube, Odyssey, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. You look for Andreas Exertus on Spotify, iTunes, podcasts. I'm on a lot of other people's content now, so you can find that stuff. Um, I got a Vice special about Hollow Earth that you can watch. And on Vice TV, and I did a bunch of documentaries. Like, you can look at my History Revised documentary, all about Tartaria. And I have a series on YouTube. I do dailies now as well. So, yeah, there I am. Yeah, I've been checking those out. Those are really cool, man. You just, but, you know, here's the thing. Everybody knows you as, like, this guy that, what is what does Sam Tripley call you? The the human Wikipedia. Human computer, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, here I am, like actually in my class mode, learning stuff. I'm learning slowly in the morning, you know, trying to to figure stuff out. I'm not. I don't have everything, um, you know, until you learn it, right? So I'm. All, this is a lot of it's also me just learning stuff, and I figure that's good for people to learn how they can learn things as well. And going through, for instance. You want to use Wikipedia sometimes because that's the common mainstream normie tool. But then you use that to go to the cited sources and then you start to break apart the narrative and you realize that you know the truth and Wikipedia ends up the next day updating it to say exactly what we're talking about. And I think that's the best part is that we're not even that counterculture. We're just correcting old stuff. You know what I mean? Like to be even older and and more correct because it has to go back to the way it was originally, but we're just correcting stuff from misunderstandings from the (laughs) nineties. I wanted to, I I took a few notes. I've been listening to your stuff over the last week or so. And I want to, I want to talk about the, the pig in the room, if you will, let's talk about the pig people, bro. (laughs) The ancient pigs, pigs in space, pigs in cyberspace. What the fuck is up with the pigs, bro? (laughs) Dude, it's weird because it's been very pervasive. I know uh, Mind Unveiled and I were talking about this a bit uh, because he has a, a series of videos that he was doing. And I was like, that's very interesting. You're talking about these movies, uh, starting when we started talking about Spirit Away. He did like a whole thing on Spirited Away and then uh, Willy Wonka. And there are connections there to all the, the doll books. Roald Dahl has all these books about, um, you know, a globalist candy man who has pygmy slaves and he's taking cacao from the old world in the Western hemisphere and bringing it to be alkaline in, in a factory, but he's adding chemicals and apparently human additives. According to the stories, children are being put into the candy. And this is also something that comes through in his other books, James and giant peach and in um, witches where the little boy turns into a mouse and you find out there's this club of witches also rolled all books. So he was exposing a lot of things about, cannibalism elite societies witchcraft and everything else and you know also that the world is rough out there netflix recently bought his books a bunch of people are always scared that netflix is super woke to the point of being evil and you can say that the sabrina thing is a pretty good example right where they they gave sabrina um they used baphomet and they ended up putting um the baphomet symbol in the netflix sabrina show so they ended up giving 50 million dollars in a settlement to the church of satan directly from really? netflix 50 right. million yeah, so it's a, that's the reason I think a lot of people... But as time has gone on, things have changed a lot. And Mike Myers did the Pentaveret series, and Netflix is being... you know They're, they're getting rid of people. They're saying, hey, if, you don't, if you're obsessed with wokeism, you're not going to function here. So even though I'm not really like... An, I'm a cynic 
in all respects and a skeptic even further, a hyper skeptic. But I'd still say I'm a hyper skeptic of the idea that Netflix is obsessed with being woke forever. I think they actually are right now desperate to make some money and they're latching on to the opposite right now. So you're seeing some positive thing like Pentaveret, I think is arguably a pretty penta- uh, a positive thing about the Illuminati and conspiracy and showing the world what's going on with Rupert Murdoch and News Corp and, and everything else. So there's been some things like that and they just brought, bought Roald Dahl so they can bring this to the light. Mine unveiled said he thought Roald Dahl was probably a bad guy. I don't really agree. I think that there are people that are good and bad, and most people are good and bad. You know, they make a lot of mistakes. But the point is he was exposing this evil in the world instead of hiding it. And I think that's really important. I think that Netflix will, you know, in a weird way, be doing a service by showing people these stories. Now, I have um, – I have also looked a lot into the idea of genetics and avatars. You know, according to the the Veda, um, there were avatars that were brought forth kind of evolutionarily. You know, the, the it's a kind of a marriage between evolution and the creators. There's this godhead, which is maybe like a Dyson sphere computer system, and it, it, it prints life. And then from there, new things evolve. But you have this DNA, this digital Noah's archive DNA that's storing the data, and it's being printed by light, and it's these avatars, an entire herd of, you know, elephants or, uh, you know, pigs. Pigs is a big one, is that Vishnu actually took the avatar of a pig before taking the avatar of a human, right, on Earth, at least. So we're looking at these stories and these ancient stories, and it was interesting because it was right after watching Spirited Away where they turned the parents into pigs. Homer also, in Homer's Odyssey, there's the witch who's turning his uh, crewmen into pigs, eating the pigs. Um, the Quran talks about turning uh, humans into apes and pigs because they refuse to keep the Sabbath, you know, things like that. And these stories kind of are, they're all pervasive. And just because M.U. brought it up, I thought, well, I'll just, I'll bring up the fact that when I was in, you know, the, you know, in school, there was a story I had about pigs evolving into humans. And so I told this story, which was when the county fair happened in Santa Cruz, the school that I was at said all the third graders had to write a you know, page about, you know, a little half page thing about what they saw at the fair that day. And I'd seen all these pigs with little bandanas and handkerchiefs racing during the pig racing at the county fair. So I wrote the story that was like, you know, again, in third grade, pretty long, longer than it should have been saying, you know, we think that humans came from apes, you know, according to scientists today, you know, or directly from, you know, a God, but it's actually more complicated. It's the, it's that they created these pigs and the pigs evolved and then the pigs eventually had such a powerful society that, you know, again, I was like in, <laughs> in school. So this is just a story, but these pigs built a society that eventually destroyed the earth in a lot of ways. It was, you know, there was a um, technology that was bad, you know, whether it be global warming or whatever Scholastic Magazine was trying to teach a third grader at the time. That's what already happened. And the pigs had left in space because they were advanced enough to. Not all of them. Some of the pigs stayed. Uh, the dumbest of the pigs, like the most naive, they stayed on the surface of the earth where like the ozone depleted and they went through horrible brain rotting, you know, for generations until they became the pigs that we know today. And then there are the pigs that went underground. And they hid from the sun for centuries and they devolved and they lost their hooves and frayed out into fingertips and became the humans, which eventually devolved into the lowest form of any civilization, cannibalizing their brethren pigs who were up on the surface and worse, you know, racing them. And so when these pigs from space that have been hiding out come back to Earth because things are finally okay again, and they go back to where the ancient pig civilization temple 
you know, was like, the, of course, which is in Santa Cruz, California, it's, for whatever reason, Silicon Valley was the pig civilization capital. They see that there's this giant county fair going on and that the human de- like devolved pigs are racing these other pigs that look closer to them on the ground and that they've lost their minds. And there's this frightened pig named Snow, um, is it Snowbell or I think it's Snowbell. And Snowbell has to, you know, on either side, people are chasing the pig and the, the pig just runs. And by the end of the race, the other pigs in space are like, this isn't fair. And they just lift Snowbell up into the sky and they carry it off. And the teacher was like, we were supposed to write about what you saw at the fair that day. And I said, that is what I saw at the fair that day. How old are you? So I was like, I am now uh, 33. No, no. How old are you then when you wrote that story? Oh, well, gosh, third grade. So was that eight? I don't know. Nine, I think. And so right? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, ba- I'm really bad <laughs> at math. So you, we were in the grade. you taught you talked about this on that live stream, which I caught. And then they fucking pulled the video. Right. You know, this idea. Okay, so there's a lot of crazy conspiracies that sometimes you, you know, there's some that you don't really believe in and some like the moon is made of cheese, like eh, whatever. But then you mentioned movies and Silicon Valley and Hollywood and all this stuff, which we know that it's run by occultists. And this idea that they're perhaps feeding us. Like, you know, they always said that the McDonald's food is actually children, all the children that go missing in the world, you know, in, in the United Pepsi-Co States. has all kinds of, uh, you know, there was aborted fetal tissue and fetal tissue flavoring. And some, now they use synthetic fetal tissue flavoring, according to... Look at that movie, Snowpiercer. What right. do they do in that movie? They take the dead, they recycle it. Or was it the cockroaches, I think it was, or some shit like that? The cockroaches, and they recycle yeah. it, and they feed it back to the... Well, soil and green is the, you know, the soil and green, the population's too big, the economy's collapsing, your step, Charlton Heston's stepping over people living in the streets, occupying Wall Street, and they're eating them. That's the best thing they can do. So it's not too far-fetched. Again, we don't know about evolution. I mean, if you really, you know, you got Darwin in there with Aldous Huxley and all these lizards because they're they're reptilian right reptilian-esque people so they're shady and when you bring up these alternative ideas you get the tech overlords that freak out and they try and silence you and all this stuff but you obviously you talk about fomenko you know we can get into tartaria later i'm, I'm sure you talk about that's the only thing you talk about really tartaria and <laughs> and futurism no i do the whole future but, but people think my name when they think tartaria and i think that's pretty cool i got a good job there yeah, 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 you notice the Tartarian guy. So, you know, this idea, one of the things that really blows my mind, one of the things that we've been studying on Illuminati Confirmed, which we had you on there with, with Chris and Mark, is a marsupial theory where we don't know where marsupials came from. Maybe maybe we did come from pigs. Maybe we did come from the marsupials. We don't know because we're following the narrative that they give to us. You check the Wikipedia page today. Tomorrow says something else. What are you supposed to believe and how are you supposed to navigate the muddy waters? Because it's all false history, which is another one of my points here that I got that I got for you is how much of it is a lie. Is it all a lie? Is it some bullshit? Are they always going to keep silencing us? Like, I really want to believe at least some of it's true. And I think that's the, the thing. I, I've talked to a lot of people that think that everything is a complete lie, which to me gives a lot of credit to the liar because it says that the liar is very creative. And I don't know. I mean, as someone who's also worked in Hollywood and known a lot of writers, eh, are they that creative? <clears throat> People that I know that are creative, it's a whole different kind of thing. So I, I think that it's more like J.R.R. Tolkien said that evil can't really create it, can only manipulate. And so the truth is just like in every sing- 
every single lie in, in fake news, there's a truth there almost every time, which it could be because that's why they're getting paid to lie. It could be because that's the um, thing they're worried about. It could be so many reasons that there's, you know, there doesn't have to be this vast conspiracy why um, HuffPost writes an article from this uh, belligerently perverted side of the issue, whatever the issue is. It could just be that humanity does that because we're oppositional and, and, and along the way. But even still, you see that history is full of lies because fake news exists and gets archived and it becomes fake history. So, you know, I used to work for CNN. I would look at the things going on, Flight 370 being a great example, and you look, follow the money, figure out where things are, look for involved parties. You'll find a very different story, and it's fresh, so you know what's going on right then. You do that maybe 10 or 20 years earlier, it's a little bit more complicated and people die over it. You do that 100 years earlier, I figured I'd be okay. I figured we'd talk about history a long time ago. Unfortunately, I didn't realize that those are the families that are the most invested. You know, that's where you get all of a sudden Soros starts pitching in. Klaus Schwab starts talking about it because all of a sudden it matters Rockefeller uh, to them. Rock, yeah, right. Uh, Nathaniel, right? Nathaniel Rockefeller. Was it David? David Rockefeller? Nathaniel Rockefeller talking about it, right? On uh, Twitter. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about recently. I'm talking about the lizards like the 1800s, <laughs> like the OG oh, right, yeah. Rockefeller, John yep. D. Rockefeller. <laughs> For sure. So that, that's the irony. Yeah, we'll talk about the Rockefeller, re- talk about John D. Rockefeller. But then you're t- on Twitter and you're, t- and you're interacting then because of that with their great-great-grandson who made a boat out of plastic boat uh, bottles. You know what I mean? You know, like the internet today is so – these people do exist, and this, this history does – still permeate so you're still going to have to interact with them it's, it's not going to be something that disappears um i do think that science still matters like follow the science sounds like such a silly thing to say but don't follow the scientists follow the science don't follow the scienceologist follow the science because there's this group of people and in la we already had scientologists so we already have a group of people that are using the science word in a weird way that we know aren't really into science so i mean or are different right so we can say the same thing about people that say trust the Scienceology, that's a whole different <laughs> thing than actually looking at haplotypes, looking at junk DNA, trying to research the Y chromosome ascend, uh, ascend and descending promoter CAD sequence, looking at gene flow, which is the thing that it used to be like impossible. I could almost get in trouble at one point for talking about gene flow. Um, but the fact is now it's, it's evidenced. You know, and it was, a, it was a psychologically embarrassing idea to European British men. Because the idea that the white Christian male wasn't the apex of evolution really was – you have to imagine that that's the thought process. Mm-hmm. No, that this, there's a rise and a fall, that there are simultaneous diversions, that there are different hominids that have interacted and have been assimilated into this coherency that we call humanity that is not just – some of them have Neanderthal, some of them have Fioriensis, some of them have Denisovan, some of them do not. And this is – the fact that we're able to harmonize genetically our promoter sequences, you know, it's it's not the same with a horse and a donkey, right? You have a, a sterilized creature created, right? And so many of these other circumstances where animals are more varied and different. So we have a very unique circumstance that our DNA is designed to harmonize and to have gene flow. So that's that speaks to the idea of genetic design. And of course, we have so we say this monkey thing we are so different from primates especially in the circumstance that 46 and 48 chromosomes 23 pairs right versus 24 pairs of chromosomes it's an awful lot of dna to just be snipped 
and then we have new DNA added. So, of course, we could say that this is related, but we can say we're related to, we have the same DNA as a mollusk. We have a lot of Mm -hmm. butterfly DNA. I mean, DNA sequences also seem to be absorbed. Something that we're learning about now is how the Native Americans were probably right. When you consume something, you're getting some of its DNA. I mean, clearly that's what's going on in a lot of these primal uh, organisms. They're designed to have a a group of cells to say they're going to be the mouth. They're going to lure things in. Um, and then with a, with a pretty face, right? And then something else, you're going to just digest it all the time, right? You're going to be the stomach. And then you guys, you're going to be this system of tubes that's going to connect it all. And it just becomes the original cell organisms are this U-shaped thing. It's just a mouth, right, with just a, a necklace of cells that start to harmonize and work together. And as more things start to come in that already exist, then it consumes those things and they get assimilated. Either it breaks them up into amino acids or they literally get assimilated. And so we're we're actually seeing examples where DNA can spread through consumption. What the and, fuck? I mean, yeah, I mean, diseases can be spread through consumption. Right. I mean, it doesn't it's not too far fetched. Life itself, you know, is basically a uh, a sexually transmitted terminal disease. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you have to have sex, you have the kid and and so on and so forth and I mean, they eventually die. So You die from it. Yeah, you yeah. die from having life. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, yeah, I just had a kid. He turned a month old. I mean, and I know 80 years from now. I'll tell him like that. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I mean? I mean, you're not <laughs> wrong when you fucking put it that way. It, it, is, it is true. We're slowly dying. So uh, can we talk about John D? Because isn't that funny? Because we talked about Anaki and Magic before we start recording. You mentioned Anaki and Magic, right? John D. John D. Rockefeller and John D. The OG John D. What do you right. feel, dude, that because that, I've always said like, he named after him. Oh, well, well, here's the thing, because we talk about mirror magic and, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall. You have Disney and all this shit. You have, I 100% believe, bro, that because Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller had a hand in the, in the development of Florida. And I've been doing like an occult deep dive on the, the foundations of Florida. And you had Henry Flagler, but then you had Henry Flagler, Henry Plant, Henry Sanford, Henry, Henry, some of those, like five Henry's. So there's this idea that we've talked about in the community where it's like, they're doing like mirror magic. And then you have John D right. The, the double, the original 007. And then you have John D Rockefeller. It's like, is that a coincidence or do they know that that has like some sort of magical aspect to it? Cause they're occultists and that's what lizard people do. Like Henry, uh, I think Henry comes from ruler of the house. So there's, that's a good French uh, Arcadian name for someone who ends up, is it, if you're a property owner, you should name your kid, you know, Henri, you know, or Hericulum oh. or whatever it is. But uh, John D I think, I want to remember this right, but doesn't he have kind of a weird? He's not like the normal elite nobility story. You've got kind of Carnegie and John D. Yes, they were they were rivals. They were nemesis. Yeah, but they're also kind of like pseudo foundlings. They're not quite the same as like they're. I think John Rockefeller's family come from the House of Orange, and they've Mm -hmm. uh, spread off, which you see in Florida, right, and in California, where Orange State, (laughs) yeah, the the Orange States, the Orange Counties, which were you know for the House of Orange, connecting the Jacobins to the Rockefellers and. There's a there's a big movement of Jacobins coming to the the new world. Well, you have so, Orange <laughs> County in California, and you have Orange County in Florida. But I'm in Orange County right now, so again, this mirrored reality. You have Disneyland yeah. and Disney World. So again, we're at we're at this thing where Henry Flagler was John D. John D. Rockefeller's right hand man. Okay, mm-hmm. because of him, because of his business model, they established Standard Oil. So 
Rockefeller arguably has a hand in the development of Florida. Now, one of the things that really stands out to me, because right in the topic of Tartaria, we're talking about, you know, 18th, 17th century, where, dude, you read the history and it's like, what happened to the indigenous people? Well, they fucking got obliterated. They just died. They We killed them all. I'm like, damn, did they really, like, did they really though? Or, or, you know, there's this, there's, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Ingram expedition, the Everglades expedition, where there's like this this conspiracy as to because we know the whole thing with tartaria is that they took over the buildings now if you look at henry plant and henry flagler their hotels did they really build them or did they push into the last frontier and build their railroads because we know the foundlings and the railroads are a big part did they build the railroads to these hotels or did they actually build because we don't see pictures. We don't. We're right. going based off of what the history tells us. So most of those those regions you'll see. I mean, they're so far out in the middle of nowhere. Carnegie's uh, Sons Castle, especially in the middle of South Carolina, and all these train paths. Yeah, I mean, they're on former river paths that seem to have been ancient traverse paths. That's something that's also pretty interesting that they've chosen paths that have been what the Native Americans were using. Now, either we're just adapting them or it, it pushes back this idea that we really don't know what was around before the texas uh, what's it called the sherman neckties in the civil war they say that sherman went around destroying all of these cities in the south and it's just hard to really imagine what is that, that what all the fires are bro because you can literally look up the great the great blank fire and and put any fucking city in the united states right and there was the great jacksonville fire near St. Augustine, right. where it obliterated like 95% of the But city. it's even, it's more like uh, Gangs of New York where they were launching cannonballs onto the towns, and it seems like earthquakes were a part of this, maybe volcanic projectiles, natural disasters as well. You look in 1811, 50 years before this, and there were a number of natural disasters across the United States. Mississippi River flew backwards. It was going the wrong direction because of earthquakes and because of flooding that was going on. And volcanoes that happened in other parts of the world. Um, I think I did a video about this recently where I talked about volcanic resets. I think I did the complete history of resets video. And it's yeah. it covers a lot of things. One of them was that volcanoes that we found in different areas from the 17th to the 18th century and before have caused nuclear winters or whatever you want to call these, you know, year without a summer periods or periods where there's been so much flooding right before that that water's covered everything and, and things have, have flown backwards and cities were, you know, being put through. Imagine if you go through a complete destruction of your infrastructure for a generation, right? Like, so New York city or San Francisco or something loses power, like in the postman movie or something for a generation, it'll change everything. Mm -hmm. And maybe you could get by and you can imagine there'd be some places that really adapt to this have places where librarians learn how to write on paper again blah 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 but there would be a group of people that just come and rob people still mm -hmm. and there would be a complete and this is what it looks like happened in the 1850s and 60s robber barons there was, there was a world yeah there's a there's this great thing the robber barons and valeans and serfs that they used to have to pay these taxes mafia comes from maafi which is when the arabs ran europe there was the Muslim tax, right? And so this wow. is another funny thing we don't even think about where serfdom really comes from, but it has mostly to do with the Arab period and why mafia still exists in America to pay protection against the taxes, right? If you pay the tax, then you're protected 
because it's your you're not a Muslim, so you're part of the state. You paid your protection. Interesting, and 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 you know you're talking about protection. Henry Flagler and Henry Henry B. Plant, they you know Plant City, Flagler County, Flagler College, Flagler Hotel. All these you know again these enigmatic guys who pop out of nowhere and they just they build these crazy empires overnight. It seems they came to an agreement, both of them together. They allegedly met up on one of his yachts, one of Henry's yachts, you know Flagler's yachts. And they came up with an agreement where like, hey, you take the west side of Florida. I'll take the east side of Florida and we're going to stay in each other's lanes. You know, our railroads will 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 both be together, you know, parallel, but we're not going to fuck with each other. You know, you stay in your lane. I stay in my lane. And you see, I mean, they developed all of the again, the last frontier. Or did they really? Because you mentioned the Indian, the Indian, uh, you know, uh, these these names that the indigenous people gave to these places, I feel that they do hold some sort of power. And the reason that they build on top of these places, look at Jekyll Island and look at mm. the, the mound, uh, what Rockefeller, he built supposedly his house, his cottage on an old, supposedly altar for Canaanite, some crazy shit, you know, Jekyll Island right. and, and the giants right. and all this stuff. And, you know, you have star forts in St. Augustine, you have star forts in the Keys. You have star forts in the Panhandle. And one of the interesting things that I came across while doing the deep dive on Florida was the star fort in, in what, I forgot the name, in the Panhandle. Geronimo was held oh, right, there right. at one point before he was transferred over to North or South Carolina. And in St. Augustine, the oldest city in the United States, there was, I believe it was Seminole, the, the Seminole tribe uh, leader. He, he was befriended by this doctor, right? This, uh, he, he had like a, a pharmacy and all this stuff and he befriended him. Now we know about skull and bones, taking the femur and all in the skull. Right. And again, these, yeah. these relics, right? We have the, the saints with their relics. Well, this doctor befriended the Seminole tribe guy and or either Seminole or Osceola, one of the two. And I'm in Osceola County right now. So again, we have these names that they just keep. And he befriended him. He died of tonsillitis and some other stuff. And at the view, after the viewing, he went into his casket, opened it up, chopped the Indian's head off and put it on display at his pharmacy. Because there was this, during those times, there was this idea that if you had the skull, like almost like a Baphomet type thing, the skull or like a relic of an indigenous person, you had some sort of good luck or you could use it for divination or whatever it is that they that they believe in. And coincidentally enough, when Flagler was building his entire railroad system, again, through the the he exploited slave labor. Right. And, and uh, convict leasing. There's a lot of people, you know, that, that they were holding them hostage until they paid their debt off of when they were, you know, coming over or whatever, uh, doing all that. They would come across these burial mounds for these indigenous people, and they would give away the skulls and the bones in those burial mounds as souvenirs to the workers. Whoa. So you have like this dark, you know, what I mean, like the yeah. you're desecrating somebody's gravesite, and you just to what to build your own fucking, you know what I mean? Like that's dark. It's interesting because, you know, as a poltergeist, you move the bodies. But I was thinking about skull and bones and their connection to um, ayahuasca rituals, Mayan uh, bru uh, brujas and shamans. And what you'll find is the connection that the Peruvians had a lot of Sufis because the Arabs in Spain who could escape by going with the Spanish Inquisition as far away from Spain as possible, the Crusaders, rather, to avoid the Inquisition. But the Inquisition will find 
there were inquisitions in Mexico. There were inquisitions in California. There were inquisitions all across the Western Hemisphere. In Brazil, um, you'll find that they were hunting down both Jews and Muslims and Gnostics, of course. Mm-hmm. And the the connection to Sufis, because the Sufis ending up in Peru, mixing with the, the local magicians you know, or shamans, uh, there's a number of different groups besides the... Uh, I forget which is the... The, the famous crystal skull group, but it's not the only one. You go to the Keshwa, the Keshwa have a skull tradition as well, um, where they take the last skull of the shaman and they sit in a room with him. And he's died because when he dies, he takes a bunch of mushrooms and holds the skull of the last guy. And it's not just crystal skulls. There's actually a thing they do with human skulls as well. They're, so the, the, the skull and bones ritual is very similar. A lot of the time you have a skull and you're put into a, you know, a lock-in with one of these skulls. Now, a skull system I did not know about for the skull and bones until earlier this year, just the beginning of the, the summer, was the mummies of Joseph from the Bible and of Abraham and, uh, his, and Joseph's wife, uh, Tia, which was – so. This was weird. I was looking into Mormons, and Mormons are there. They fit the profile. If you're looking for Tartaria research, they had an entire group called, uh, you know, they had Deseret. Deseret was going to be the name of this, the Mormon state that, that would have included California, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, Utah. It was this huge zone. And the Mormon army was with the Mormon architects and Mormon engineers, became part of the Army of Engineers Corps. And so during, uh, even before the Civil War, but during the Civil War particularly, and into the Spanish-American War and across in California, they basically were allowed to do what they wanted so as that it was helpful to you. And they're like, hey, these guys don't drink. They're, they're, they're fighting on our side. They're, they're lustful for blood because they've just had their women and children killed in the Missouri conflict, and they, they don't know what else to do. And that's why there are Mormon settlements in Mexico all the way up into Beverly Hills. You know, that whole area. You've got, you know, San Diego's temple and everything else. But you go across the Mormon territories and you'll see they have, you know, found all of these Tartarian locations, which some of them were destroyed and they've reassembled them on top of uh, giant tunnel infrastructure systems, which I don't know how much you're supposed to even know about the infrastructure of tunnel systems but guess what utah and san diego are known for them and they're right anywhere else that a mormon is uh temple has been built there's the huge tunnel systems that connect to the military dumbs and you know we also know that the mormons often being involved with this the fbi and to the oss and cia and involvement with the, the secret service because again not doing drugs being coherent they're going to be selected for that even just practically speaking right so <laughs> on top of anything else anyway joseph smith translated a bunch of golden tablets you've heard that story but there's another one which is that he found a guy who was a mummy a tomb robber in egypt and this guy you know they, they were like we got a bunch of money we can buy this guy's stuff and he's he's gonna get, sell us a 40 foot double-sided scroll or two and then they say, you know what? Get the mummies as well. So he buys like seven mummies. One of them, as far as I can tell, ended up at the Niagara Falls Museum. And two of them have been destroyed, likely, like their heads decapitated. And then leading to where we're going with the, the Yale Skull and Bones Club. Anyway, these uh, documents. Isn't there which, a secret society? The wolf's head, the scroll and key or some shit like that? Yeah, And totally. skull and bones? So then they take these scrolls, and there's a war going on, it's important to remember, with Joseph Smith, because he's saying that before uh, Noah landed in the Middle East, the boat ride took them from Missouri, and that originally 
they were in Missouri and that, that things changed. Now that seems really weird. Unless you look at the uh, water, the Western uh, seafront, uh, Western sea interior maps. If you look at the Cretaceous period maps that go back to maybe 6,000 to 10,000 years ago, according to our, our calendars, or further, because there's always someone who wants to say these things took millions of years, because millions sounds better. But if you look at volcanic records, we can show it's like between the last six and 10,000 years um, when the freezing periods happen. There are maps that look exactly like, and these are scientific maps that you can find in the National Geographic or NASA or whatever. They look exactly like the maps from the 1700s that show you California as an island. And if wow. you go back even further to the 1600s, the 1400s, there are earlier maps that are even weirder looking that look even more like the maps we have of the Cretaceous period, where Missouri is a coastline. And California to Missouri, there are lagoons across what is this desert area that now, when you drive across the, the, the desert in California, Nevada, and Black Rock City, they tell you those are the powdered remains of giant whales and fish, right? They tell you this. So you know that this is a very recent thing. And some of my earliest videos were showing how the gold rush was used to divert huge amounts of water, how our amusement park infrastructure is based on log rides from this period, and that they would just blow up a mountain. And then would, that's why, you know, if you look at the RLC over 40 years ago, it was one of the biggest seas in the world, right? Now it's the desert. It's the same as that Lewis Zacher Holes book, Completely Dried Up. How did they do it? Well, humans can do that in 40 years. So we look at California, look at Nevada, and we say, hey, did this take millions of years? Well, it might have if humans weren't involved, but mm. no, yeah, we, did it, we did it in our lifetime and recently. You yeah. can't prove it. So I've heard that before. I've heard that whole thing that the that the biblical uh, timeline was actually in the States, you know, the 40 years and 40 nights and all this shit. Like, because you're talking about the, the mummies that they found here in the States. Is that what? Oh, no, no, no. So sorry. So the thing is, then the story goes, according to Joseph Smith, that they rode this boat. They ended up over in. Uh, Africa, you know, in Egypt. And then you've got Abram, uh, Abram's kids are after Noah, but Noah lives for like 600 years because things were different before the deluge. And then you've got a group like Nephi. Nephi is the grandson or great, great grandson or something like that from Abraham, from Joseph's tribe. So Abraham has Joseph. Joseph goes to Egypt, takes over Egypt. Mm. And then Moses has to leave Egypt, right? Well, interim, before Moses leaves Egypt, while Joseph's still in charge of Egypt, there are a lot of Jews in Egypt, and the Israelites are doing very well, right? Nephi leaves, and he gets on a boat, and they go back, and then they end up in the Americas, okay? Yeah. But Joseph's supposed to be still in Egypt because he's basically he's married. He's this Pharaoh's son-in-law at this point. He runs Egypt. And that's according to the Bible, but also he was like an outsider too, or some shit like that, right? Like they, they what do you mean by outsider? Uh, which is the one that they put him in in the position of power, but he was actually an outsider and not even one of them. Right. right well, so that's yeah, that's the thing. So basically, Abraham's kids, he's got like a bunch of wives. His youngest wives, youngest son, Joseph. Actually, there's one more after that eventually. But he gives Joseph the second to the last youngest son the dream coat, rainbow colors. Brothers are jealous. They sell him into slavery. Dude ends up in Egypt uh, working for a eunuch, so he can't be raped, except the eunuch has a wife, which come with the kingdom, although the wife wants to have sex with him. So then he gets arrested, tells a bunch of dreams, because he's, he's a dream interpreter, and then the dream priests hire him. Oh, then that's he Josephus, says, hey. right? Right. Well, no, Josephus is the historian. So Wait a minute, yeah. wait a minute, because it's like a similar story, though, where he interprets... 
everything how from what from the I forgot who the fuck was that the Roman point of view or something like that. Uh, Fabius. Yeah, Josefa, Josefa tells the history of you know Moses as Osarsef, kind of as a priest that happens during a leprosy period. But what happens in the Bible anyway is that, and it's just, it's, it ironically parallels perfectly with what happens with Yuya, which is the Pharaoh's uh, ambassador who, during this period. Basically, the Pharaoh just means the kingdom's house. It's like the mafia. You get like the house of Corleone. So the Pharaoh of you know, uh, Ra Moses, which is the son. Moses means son, so son of Ra. Mm-hmm. So they've got this this household, and they have a lot of money, but there's still some other people that have money, right? You know, they've got all these dudes that are doing their farming. So he says, hey, there's going to be a change in weather, and there's going to be some years of plenty. Hoard all that. Then there's going to be some famine, and you're going to sell stuff back to these people, and you're going to make a fortune, and the kingdom won't die. Great idea. Well, the, the thing about Egypt is three seasons. There's a flooding season, and there's a not flooding season, and there's a growing harvest season. So flooding comes from when other areas have a fourth season, which is the spring runoff from the rain, and then that floods the Nile, and then that comes in. By diverting the Nile, they were able to stop flooding seasons, and then they cause ecological disasters, which led to desertification of Whoa. certain regions of Egypt very recently. And we can look at the Tamaraset rivers system and see the rivers that spread across from Morocco into the Nile, and we can see uh, the Mega Chad and the Mega Uganda and the Mega Congo uh, lakes, which had river systems that connected all of Egypt, and the entire place was green. Like, pretty much the entire place was green, except for there were regions in the north that weren't because there's giant sand dune deep beaches and things. And we, But we see whales there, which, you know, it tells you a lot, basically. There's a valley of the whales very close to this area. Um, but so by doing this, there was a dry season for seven years, according to the Bible, and basically according to the records of Yuya. And they said, don't worry, you can come in and you can buy stuff. And they're like, well, what do we have to buy it with? You know, we need grain and stuff. And they're like, well, you can give us your cattle. And they said, well, we can't. That's all we, we're farmers. It's like, okay, well, you can keep your cattle. You know what? Keep your cattle. But we'll charge a tax on you using your cattle. And they're like, uh, uh, you just give us some of the grain, the food you make at the end of the year. Okay. But then there's seven more, there's six more, five more years, right? So they come back and they're like, okay, what are we going to do now? That We've given you all of our gold. We've used up all of our money and we've used up the taxing of our animals. We have nothing left. Sell us your land. Well, then where are we going to put our animals? You can keep your land. Just pay us a tax for using <laughs> the land. And all of a sudden, the pharaoh owned Egypt. And that was all under Yuya, and that was Joseph. And that's the biblical story is that Joseph helps the pharaoh take over Egypt. And he's yeah. like, yeah, your family is going to be in charge, you know, up until the Hicksaw, which Josephus says the Hicksaw were this group that come over, they take over in a century or two, and then they get kicked out, right, because they're enslaving everybody and running things. That was and the funniest a- thing. It's like, who are the Hicksaws? Eh, a nomadic tribe. They just came over. They took over one of the greatest civilizations of all time. It's like, that's such fucking bullshit. I mean, because what you're talking about, you're talking about some geoengineering on, like, a massive scale. <laughs> well, I mean, if you divert the, 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 the Nile, it's massive, but it can be done. You could smash some boulders. You could blow some things up. You could divert an area, mm-hmm. and then the water goes different area. I mean, it's amazing how much control over nature you can have and how serious a feedback loop you can create. You know? Yeah. And one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was because uh, not to get like a Michael Tillinger, but cause I like these ideas, you know, Titanology where you mentioned like, Oh, these are all those, the bones of whales and how some think, cause I was watching survivor uh, and they, she was talking about 
you know, the, the giant toe. And it was like a rock that looked like a foot. And like at the top was like the toes. And then as I'm like listening to your stuff and taking notes and all this, uh, this movie recommendation pops up on my YouTube. And, you know, we mentioned earlier that, that Hollywood, the reason that they make, you know, symbolism and all this stuff, you have to make sure you read through the lines and all this stuff between the lines because they're putting stories out there. You know, maybe your pig story hit a nerve somehow because they know it's true. We have all these movies with, with the pigs, Jesus entrapped the demons inside the pigs. You know, you have all this weird right. shit. But this idea, I had this movie pop up. It was Troll. And I, and I watched the trailer. And it's some people that are just standing around. There's like a, a stone behind them and the stone wakes up and it's a stone troll. And I'm like, this is a movie that's about to come out. And I'm nice. like, wait a minute. So this idea that all these mountains and all these things are the petrified remains of giants. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I've heard you talk about it before and I find it fascinating. Totally. I mean, I hope you uh, at some point you should get on Stellium Seven, who's a friend of mine, Mike Wilkerson, and he does. He's a technologist in Spain, and I went to his town in Habia, where there is a giant um, elephant rock. It's a rock. They call it the elephant rock. It looks like an elephant, and he's like, you know, how much do you think it is like an elephant? You know, I mean, maybe it's not an elephant. Maybe it's a titan. Who knows what it is? But man, if it doesn't look like a giant elephant with a trunk and everything like that, and then he said, do you want to go climbing through the thing? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, spelunking, because I used to do a lot of rock climbing and spelunking and everything. So we go climbing through this thing, and I'm like, where is it taking us? Like, isn't this kind of look like an eye? Does it kind of look like an eye socket? And you can kind of follow. And even the material, it's crystallized. Doesn't it seem like this is iron, and this is the material that would have been made from a room? So more and more, we're going through this eye socket, and I'm like, it's tiny. What are we going to do? It's like, well, doesn't this kind of feel like a nasal passage? And if you were going through a nasal passage, wouldn't it eventually open up into a giant chest like uh, lung area. And then as he says that we're like, we come into this area that literally has rib cage looks like a giant lung area, just like where the alveoli would have been held in sacks. And you've got this entire chest cavity that we're inside of. And you can feel air coming like from the other direction. Like there's even another side of this thing that at some point has been uh, rotted through, opened up or something. There's a little bit of breeze coming from under earth or something like that. This is one of many examples of where we've gone through it, that if it was not uh, some sort of living thing, then we probably would have been crushed or something before we got to any sort of place. Now, there are so many examples of, fo of instant fossilization now that we can see because of the vaporous explosions from a volcano that, let's say a volcano collapses, it's a marine volcano, and then it seals over itself so that finally the pressure builds from steam inside that a gunshot of vaporous Whoa. fumes explode that you can instantly vaporize and fossilize. Like an atomic uh, bomb type of thing. Right. With, with uh, like, gr like liquid graphene in it. Right. So like liquid, imagine liquid pencil lead in the bomb. So you're coated in burning, melting, molten carbon. Like a Mohenjo-Daro. I mean, you, you see it <laughs> yeah. there where... Literally, yeah. Radioactive, and they're still in the same spot. I mean, that, that's... God, it's so sad what they're doing to Mohenjo-Daro. They, they're turning it into some sort of um, a political, like, uh, activity, act, like a TV spot or something. Really? And they're tearing stuff down, and it's just... There's not going to be much left in about four, four or five minutes. That's it. The place is going to be destroyed. Jesus sad. Christ. And... You know, speaking of fossilized remains of things, I another thing I wanted to talk to you about was because I, I, you know, I like the whole ancient deforestation. You have mine unveiled with that with those crazy 
videos that they put out, which makes sense. I mean, it looks like right. it. Is it? Who the fuck knows? Because we're not ever going to know. But we have this mythology that paints these pictures. You know, you have the, the big tree, the tree of life, you know, Asgard, Midgard. You have all these, you know, uh, you have all these different mythologies that could potentially be from true stories. I mean, first accounts. So I watched the uh, <laughs> the Vice special. <laughs> How hard was it for you not to laugh, bro, during that? Oh, my thing? God. You know, I mean, the the whole thing was insane, <laughs> but obviously. But it was amazing trying to. And the thing was that I was mostly scared because I figured that uh, this, you know, it's, it's going to be like working in the Death Star with evil people. And it's going to be horrible. Everyone who was really awesome. All the people I worked with turned out to be like really cool people that were freelance that weren't from Vice. They got hired on Craigslist and things. And I was like, whoa, this is not the Clone Wars. This is the Death Star where they've hired ensigns and nobody, you know, and you're, I'm navigating this like Obi-Wan. Nobody knows who I am. I was so worried they were going to know who I was and be like, this guy's not just, he hangs out with Alex Jones and you got to be careful about, you know, I was worried about Tim Pool. Tim Pool. They didn't ask you about that, bro. Dude, I was really like, I tiptoed hard. You know what I mean? Because they didn't, they didn't need to understand. Like they're looking into other things, and they wanted. And somebody had asked me to do it uh, because they had been asked to do something, and they knew that they weren't going to get picked. And they're like, "That guy, though, I watched this guy's videos. You should get him." And then they asked me, you know, who I was and what I was about. But really, the more important question was like, "Can you do the Hollow Earth thing?" I was like, "Yes." You know, I was looking around. I was thinking to myself. Yes, I think I can. Because the most important thing to me was to do Tartaria at the time. And I was saying, what we have is this group where we study, uh, we look into things, and we find out what's true. And they cut it to make it that I was just obsessed with Hollow Earth, and that's all it was. And I kind of figured something like that was going to happen anyway. But that wasn't so bad. You know what I mean? Like the way... I love that they made it seem like you were like in the closet type of thing and your family didn't love you because you were yeah, like right. into hollow earth and like conspiracies. And I'm like, I, I, the one of my favorite parts was when the therapist was like, and I just feel like he's not opening up to me. I go, I, I'm like watching it. I go, cause the guy's fucking bullshitting you this entire time. <laughs> you know? I'm like, this is crazy to me, but you yeah, guys TV's went into so out of control. Like I can't even believe where we've gotten it. Like to the point that nobody knows what's going on anymore and they don't even care because they're just making content, you know, but the, the dragon part where you went into those caves and it was like a fossilized dragon. I think the guy was about to lose his shit when you brought that idea up. But again, it's not out of the question that I, I, and I, I'm sure people are going to listen to this and I always get shit for it, but Fuck it. I always say that there is more evidence for hollow earth than there is for flat earth. There's more Dude, evidence those- for hollow earth and Tartaria than there is for flat earth. It's important to remember the guys who edited that video aren't the people that filmed the video and the way it was filmed was different. And so it, the, the people that what were working on the show and I still keep in touch with some of them are sending me things all the time about, because they'll be reading something in a hollow earth, like article about you know nasa or bbc admits that there's a sea underneath this area of ground because they they're like wow everything you said because what i would say on the show was i'm convinced of the evidence that i've seen in real life when i've gone to bolivia and studied geysers or gone into caves and caverns in south dakota or in italy or you know in the bermuda caves i've seen extremophiles I'm, i'm convinced of extremophiles and they're like, what are extremophiles? Extremophiles are 
things that thrive in extreme environments. They love extreme environments. And the reason is if you lived in a city, everybody can live in a city. So not everybody can live in a city. But you live in the desert, not everybody can live in the desert. So only special people can thrive in the desert. And so weird things happen in extreme environments. And, you know, I believe in extremophiles because I've seen them. There are um, volcano mollusks, right? Have you seen the volcano mollusk? It's uh, It lives in lava. It lives in like 1,300 degrees sulfur. Yeah, it's like a, a volcanic sea snail, I think is the other way you call it, volcanic sea snail. Let me see if I can pull up that picture. Yeah, the toughest gastropod here. I'll just send you a link to it. Um, That's fucking wild, bro. Yeah, I was I was listening to – I think you brought that up on the on the Vice special. Wow, that's crazy. Right. But, yeah, yeah so I mean, thing- it's like you wonder what's at the bottom of the Mar- Mariana Trench or, like, right. you know, at the bottom of these – places where look at the have you seen the 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 caves in in china where there's like this special place in china only like a concentrated place where they get like these entire forests that grow in these caves and like the way that they're formed allegedly where it's like a river underneath the rock is like you know fractured and eventually it just starts breaking all the way to the top of this mountain and then the top of the mountain opens up there's a river at the bottom and they just start getting the nutrients you know the sunlight mm-hmm. and there's a forest inti- inside the entire fucking mountain and it's only happens in certain parts of china it's like this concentrated part of china where it's like a, a certain type of limestone and a certain type of river and dude it's all over the place i mean you sure understand? i mean look at look at this thing it's the uh it's a foot long snail that lives in lava that looks like the freaking it's predator like pokemon alien. it's like the it's like a prettier alien but so it's a pokemon version of the alien movie predator with that scary tongue i mean this thing lives in 1300 degrees in sulfurous gases so the example there that there are things that live underground that are crazy and i knew that that movie had come out godzilla and i was like well godzilla is probably a a hollywood way for people to learn and understand that sea snails live in lava because it's going to be hard for people to understand it it's also not going to really sound as interesting if you call a foot that thing shouldn't be called a sea snail it should be called like the like Tyrannosaurus gastropod, you know, or something like that. You know, <laughs> have you have you ever read the book? Uh, I think I'm saying this right. Eddie Eddie Dorpa or the end of the earth. And it's illustrated by J. Augustus Knapp, which is the guy that drew the secret teachings of all ages with Manly P. Wow. No, that sounds rad. though. So like, look too. that book up and it's like this weird because it's again, hollow earth. It's like this weird hollow earth secret society changeling type of people like an extreme of where he it's like this being that has no eyes or face or anything like that and like the dude's like on like a psychedelic trip but he's seeing it's like an alice in wonderland type of like environment but it's fucking sick and it's got to do with like hollow earth but it's made by john yuri lloyd and he is a he was a pharmacist and he was mixing up all these concoctions and i mean it's a story of like baron trump's uh, epic adventure or the journey into hollow earth and i heard wow. you talking about the ant people right we have these these ideas of these indigenous people a lot of stories where you have the ant people showing them the way into hollow earth hollow earth is my favorite conspiracy probably of all time i mean it's it's the one that no one really can argue with the idea that everything is solid beneath your feet is just categorically false scientifically so we know that there's it's just when people say is it a giant city you know, versus is it, is it cryptozoology? I mean, it's a fundamental fact that crazy life lives underground and we see it and there's examples. So, and one last thing before we go here, cause I wanted to talk about this with you. 
you know, you have the what you call stimulation theory instead of simulation, stimulation, where it makes a lot of sense, where we are being presented, you know, and the, the Truman's like, why hasn't Truman figured out what, you know, that he's in a show It's like, well, because we believe the reality that we're presented. Uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense because I was talking, I, I just did a show with Chris Matthew from Forbidden Knowledge News where you know, we were talking about the metaverse. I remember when I was a fucking kid, bro. And they told me, my parents would tell me, don't get too close to the screen because you're going to go blind. And we're literally put, putting the screens Ugh. on our fucking eyeballs whenever you put on the VR headset. You know, it hurts my brain just thinking about it. Yeah. But that won't last much longer because then they're going to use the neural link and you'll be able to just hit your signal with the brain. Um, Tim Peake talks about the idea. Recently, everyone's been talking about UFOs and saying aliens are coming. And I said yesterday on Base AF that. I like the theory it's time travelers underground a lot more because the story, and that's what Tim Peake was talking about, is that maybe these UFOs are actually humanoid uh, future renditions of the humanoid experience that have been modified, that are existing, that are living in some separate dumb, you know, underground in order to avoid interacting and destroying the, the, the butterfly effect which would, would stop render them not existing. So that could be a big part of it is that we're expecting things to exist in outer space. Also, this idea of outer space is kind of a misnomer because we're thinking about a hologram, that everything is in a singularity, and because of the way light works, it's refracting outwards, and we're experiencing where light in a hologram is projected to be psychologically as opposed to that it's all in one quantum entangled location anyway in a flat plane, right? So that's that's a big issue that we have with science. I think that's confusing people is that circuits and harmonies and frequency have to do with resonant uh, resonance and spin state. Um, but yeah, the other thing is I love that theory that all of outer space is just time and that these are different those you're looking at earth in different moments essentially you're looking at Whoa. not earth but whatever it is that is here because there is no thing that is a place a place is a point of view and mm. you know you're everywhere i like i like that one a lot um i did want to say though with the mummy thing that abraham and moses they burned those books they took the books they took the skulls and they put them into the the skull and bones from abraham and joseph but now, because we're using neural recursive neural nets, we can read some of the leftover tiny pieces of papyrus and scroll. And we're seeing that the stories that Joseph Smith said about those scrolls, which with the, it was Abraham avoiding being sacrificed and that Joseph was being uh, cremated in the Book of the Dead ritual, that those are literally what those hieroglyphs were about. And we now know that because we can, those are the pieces that we can see. So more and more, there's this. Uh, conjuncture happening between the old world and the new world and we're seeing there's yeah there's tons of evidence that there was a reset that civilization fell um, and those stories Moses has to wait outside of the giants land of Og right there are giants so the giants thing comes in over and over again about this point that this is after the flood into the beginning of the Abrahamic period the death of the giants period right David and the you know there's there's like one le left over to Goliath is we're murdered and we're running out of giants. And that's, that's where, so we're seeing the transitional period of giants right there. Yeah. Even the T Timakua people here in Florida, they were picture, they were drawn as giants as like bigger than the Frenchman. I mean that, you know, eight, seven, eight foot, which is still pretty fucking big. But I mean, it, that was what, 1700, 18, whatever fucking year it was. I, I don't remember, but Exertus, you're fucking crazy, bro. You <laughs> like spit you, too, out, bro. you spit out all this stuff. And it's like, I'm, I try to keep up with you. 
So <laughs> can you plug your I stuff? I actually want to, <laughs> I want to get you on my show. Cause there's a lot of stuff I need to get you to talk about in terms of Nokia and magic and bringing, bringing a lot of your stuff to the table. I appreciate it, dude. It's awesome. Whenever you'd like, bro. And, and tell, uh, tell Tim, I said, what's up? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> can you plug your stuff real quick? So the listeners can find you. Yeah, man. I appreciate you guys. You can look for Andres Exertus, X-I-R-T-U-S, on any streaming platform. Try to watch a video that someone else made with me. You know, get them a view, too. But, again, Andreas.me uh, and then Exertus.com. Buy my T-shirts. Get a bag. Or, better yet, you know, just uh, send me a note, and then I'll make content about the questions to answer what you have. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Exertus. I appreciate you for coming on and taking time out of your day, man. Uh, this is fun. We should do it again soon. Definitely, dude. Awesome.